It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Live in the Bream with the host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. I'm so excited to welcome back an expert to live in the bream this week. He's going to help us with one of the trickiest things in the Bible and something I included in my new book, Love Stories of the Bible Speak. You may be familiar with Song of Solomon. Some people call it Song of Songs, but have no fear. We have someone here who's going to help us walk through this very, I think the word racy is appropriate part (laughs) of the Bible to use. Pastor Ben Stewart, who is pastor of Passion City Church here in Washington, D.C., an author in his own right, an excellent teacher. Pastor, thank you very much for being with us. Well, Shannon, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I have to tell you, so when I'm working on Love Stories of the Bible Speak, each week, and my husband can testify to this, each week that I would be working on something or struggling with something, we would go to church and the pastor would be speaking literally on that topic. I was struggling through um, Song of Solomon. Um, We attend Passion City sometimes. We were there with a couple of our friends that week. And I walk in and I see that you're speaking on Song of Solomon. I was like, Lord, you are good. You are providing (laughs) me, Pastor Ben, to help me through this. So let's talk about this a little bit about why some people are hesitant. Not something I learned about in Sunday school, Mm. but why it actually is an important book for us to invest some time in. Yeah, it is... um risky in that sense you know and you looked in church history there were times where pastors didn't want to touch it you know right. uh there was what was it uh i think it was hippolytus in AD 200 uh encouraged a mom he said have your daughters memorize kings and chronicles and then they can read song of solomon <laughs> because <laughs> they were concerned order. it would stir the passions because it's a very passionate book it's unashamed in its celebration of love and sex and romance and so historically, uh, there've been a number of people who have just really pressed on the allegorical interpretation of it's a picture of God's love for his people, which I think is true. I mean, if you look in the Old Testament, God presents himself like a husband to his people and the New Testament's direct. Jesus is is, is a groom to, to his bride, the church. And so all that is applicable. And yet it's also a celebration of love and sex and romance. This this is a game that God created. He created the equipment we play the game with. And so he's not afraid to tell us, here's how you play the game right in a way that'll help you and not hurt you. But, but you know, anytime you uh, talk about love, what's the old line uh, talking about love, like dancing about architecture. It's just so hard to get the words right <laughs> around such a tricky topic. But I guess you and I both decided to risk that together. So congrats <laughs> on your new book too. Well, thank you. Kudos to you. It was such a helpful um sermon that I heard with you that day. And I know you've spoken, you know, different, many different ways about this Song of Solomon, but just in the fact that we should not shy away from this, we should celebrate that there is this romantic love. And like you said, I've say to people, like, it's not like God looked down and was like, what are those people doing down there? I mean, like he created us for all of this. He knows that we're going to have desires, but they've got to be channeled the right way. And these two are trying to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. I often compare it to a fire, you know, fire is good. And uh, I remember hearing a pastor say that once. He's like, who lights fires in their living room? No one raised their hand. And he said, do you have a fireplace? And then the whole crowd starts laughing. He's like, oh, you do light fires in the middle of your house, right? But but you brick it in with uh, steel and mortar and bricks 
and it provides warmth and life to a home. But if you get it outside those boundaries, it can burn your house down. And love, sex, romance, it's the same way. I mean, it, it is a gift from God that if you have a healthy relationship romantically, it's it's light, it's warmth, uh, it can bring beauty into a marriage. But you get you get it outside of God's proper boundaries, you can hurt yourself. And, and I've noticed, um, particularly in pastoral work, I talk to so many people who have been deeply wounded by a relationship gone wrong or a betrayed trust or the usage of sexuality in a way that was harmful and not helpful. And so for me, this, you know, we're joking about the risk of it, but it's, it's out of love and concern that I want to see people flourish with this gift God gave them and not be hurt by it. And unfortunately, if you look culturally, our house is on fire. Um, the removal of boundaries, uh, particularly, you know, in light of the sexual revolution of let's have commitment less, relationship less, emotion less, sex has left us with less. And there's been a rash of new books that are from a secular standpoint saying, hey, this has hurt us. We have not flourished as women, men, because of uh, of a usage of sexuality outside of God's appropriate boundary. So it really was a motivation of love to help people say, hey, God didn't just uh, lob us a grenade and say, fiddle around with it. You'll figure it out. You know, he, he, he said, Hey, let me show you how to use the gift I gave you in a way that helps. And so that's what we're doing. And that's why I think this book exists. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting in the sermon that you had when you did cite so much secular material that's saying like, Hey, this is maybe not playing out the way that we were told it would. And that people have real you know, heartbreak and angst over the way that some of the things they were told would be great for them were actually um, leaving them with some scars. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. Um, Louise Perry is one of the authors I quoted who wrote the case against the sexual revolution. And she spoke at the Oxford Union just a couple of years ago, you know, to college students, you, you present an idea, they vote on it. And she opened by talking about her, her presentation she was asked to give was that porn is harmful to society. And she opened by saying, hey, just a few years ago, Jenna Jameson, a, a porn star, came here and, and argued pornography is good for society. And you overwhelmingly voted in agreement with her. And she said, but I think if she was here now, she would disagree with her own thesis because she has publicly. And then she laid out her case of how this has hurt us. And she overwhelmingly won that even just within a, a generation of young people, they're saying, hey, yeah, actually, I think this this hasn't helped us. And um, I, I had a young man come up to me after one of the messages, and he said, you know, I um, grew up in kind of a rural town. He said, I went to the city to get away from sort of the restrictions of my experience and to have a completely unrestrained sexual experience. And he said, and I remember riding the train home, weeping and wanting to die. He said, because I got everything I thought I wanted, but it took more from me than it gave. And uh, that breaks my heart. And, and I just go, man, that's um, thank you, Lord, that you've helped us uh, navigate this in a way that's helpful and not hurtful. So that's why we did it. And uh, I, I do think there's uh, gratefully a pushback. And I wanted to show people the secular sources to say, hey, they're saying, hey, this doesn't work. I think it's wrong. The Bible says, yeah, it's wrong. That's why it doesn't work. So let me show you the right way. And that's why I love Song of Solomon. It's not just the prohibitions. It's a celebration. And that's what impacted me when I was young. Somebody gave me a message 
on Song of Solomon and told me to listen to it in my car. I'm like, who listens to sermons in their car? Like, I remember as a teenager, I thought that's the dumbest thing I've ever this heard. The safety and security and privacy of your car. Well, <laughs> what it took was I fell asleep driving. This is a terrible uh, illustration, children. I mean, I almost uh, wrecked the vehicle and I thought something's got to keep me awake. And I saw he had a sermon in there entitled Sex. And I was like, that ought to do it. And uh, <laughs> I put it in and he was talking about Song of Solomon and I started crying, like, mm. like ugly sobbing. Not because he was shaming me at all. He was just holding up the beauty of God's design in Song of Solomon, this lovely poetry. And I thought, that's what my heart is yearning for. And I just didn't know it. And uh, it was that sweet repentance that God can give us. Of Lord, I want that. I want what you made us for. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I want to read a little bit of this. Well, she's talking about him. She says, his head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams washed in milk, mounted like jewels. She goes on and on and talking about his arms are bands of gold. And I'm thinking, I got to really work on my love notes to Sheldon. Because they're like, have a great day, XOX, exclamation point. You know, like, wait a minute. These people were really flowery and beautiful. And there's a reason that we were shown this. Yes. I mean, she starts the whole book with let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I mean, she is excited. She's like, I want his mouth on my mouth like immediately. And you go, this is not uh, a woman that's repressed or bound. She's she's unashamedly infatuated. And and that's the beauty of the book. Like, this is what it's meant to be. We're meant to be excited, not hurt by by loving desire. And she's not afraid to say it. Your love's better than wine. She was like, you, uh, a wine is an intoxicant. It makes me lightheaded and warm inside. She's like, but your love is better than that. And, uh, all through the book, you see that celebration. That's again, it'll make you blush. I mean, honestly, reading it in front of a crowd is like, okay, <laughs> you know, but, Brave. You it, but you go, but God did this with us. He wants us to see, Hey, I made this to celebrate. And there's a passage, you know, after they, um, are married and make love where the, many commentators think it's God speaking. It could be the community. It's uncertain, but they say, drink deeply. Oh, lovers. Like you're meant to enjoy a loving relationship within its proper boundaries of, of whole life commitment. I care about your mind. I care about your emotions and I care about your body. And you see in this book, they do that. They speak to one another with such sweetness, such kindness. They celebrate not just their physical attraction, but their character. You know, Mm -hmm. she says your anointing oils are fragrant. You know, he's got a strong cologne game. But then she says, your name is like oil poured out. Uh, And she's talking about his character, his reputation. Like when your name's spoken in the public square, it produces a response. And it's not the recoil of a stench. It's the invitation of a sweetness. She's like, the way you treat people, your character, your kindness, the, the gentle way you treat the old and the young, it is a sweetness to my life and a gift. And so I love that they celebrate each other's physical attributes, but also their character and their mm-hmm. dignity. It's it's beautiful. It is. And there's a little part in there where she talks about um, catch for us, the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. And I know a lot of people can have, and I'm no expert, all kinds mm-hmm. of, um, you know, interpretations of all of the language here, but that kind of felt like to me, like a reminder to think about the little foxes in your own relationships too. I mean, things that we start out this way, you know, most Western relationships with this passion and excitement, but it's somewhere along the way, do we 
allow the little foxes, whether it's distractions or busyness or whatever happens um, for us to forget this initial phase, which clearly has its own purpose in bonding us together. But it's then from there that we grow in the depth of our love and hopefully don't forget how we felt about our spouse in the beginning. Yeah. And I love that they say catch for us, the foxes, they, they literally invite trusted community, help us um, get some mature people around us who can say, what do you see? And uh, that's why I think it's healthy to talk about our marriages. We tend to not, we tend to have the wedding ceremony be really public. And then we all disappear into our homes. And then suddenly you hear about, Hey, did you hear so-and-so got a divorce? And you're like, Whoa, what, what happened? And, and it's because we privatize our relationship so much. And yet they're talking to their community and saying, Hey, catch the foxes for us. H help us see uh, where are we? Like, do you listen to how I talk to her? Did, does it pick her up or does it, does it tear her down? And I know for me, like a lot of people, I, I didn't come from um, a loving, stable home. My parents divorced when I was young. And so a lot of us don't have models of healthy relationship. And what I love about a church is, is you can get people around you that can model healthy relationship and help you see, Hey, did you notice when you said that she kind of deflated? Uh, hey, do you notice when you make fun of him in public, uh, you, he shuts down. Like, how can we use our words in a way to build up? And um, I, I do think there's an ongoing challenge to that in, in the dating experience. Somebody help me see this. And then like you were talking about in marriage, I mean, uh, there's a moment in the book, which I love this. It's a romance book, but there's a moment in the book where they, they have a fight. They don't agree mm -hmm. on something and you go, oh, okay, <laughs> whoops. Yeah. There's trouble. Realistic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, he wants to come in uh, to the bedroom with his beautiful one. And she's like, mm, uh, no, I'm not feeling it. And he puts liquid myrrh on the door. He he blesses where he's been rebuffed. And uh, I remember reading a, a Harvard lawyer on a divorce lawyer, and she said um, the number one cause of divorce is chronic rudeness. Mm. She said we just quit being each other's cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And she says if if you uh, abdicate your role as cheerleader of your spouse, you're opening that role up for somebody else. Yep. And uh, so we do need to fight to dig deep. If the well runs dry, you dig it deeper. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we need to do that. And, um, oftentimes we need to go get help. Yeah. And I, I say, and I'm only half joking. I mean, if you're married for more than five minutes, like you need a counselor, you need someone on standby because you are going to have real life trauma and fights and, you know, you're going to hurt each other intentionally, unintentionally. I mean, it's just, um, we're two imperfect people coming together. I mean, that's the whole point of, counting on something bigger than us to bind us together, you know, for us as people of faith, taking your vows before God and trusting what he says about marriage. Um, so I'm sure that you've counseled many, 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 many couples pre and post wedding. Um, what are the things that you think we should be most mindful of in trying to grow and nurture our marriages? Yeah. Well, I mean, the number one challenge is communication, which, which sounds, you know, like, well, of course, but what often happens with people is they sort of get caught up in the infatuation of relationship and don't realize, no, we need to figure out how to talk to each other. And, um, and, and you see in, in the book, they continually call each other Rayati, which is like companion or friend. And um, there's a friendliness in the way they communicate and use words. And, and there's a clarity in the way they talk to each other. He said, he approaches her and says, come away with me, but, but he leaves it to her to respond. And there's this gentle dance of how they communicate with one another. And, and even when they're hurt, like I said, she, she rebuffs him at one point and he doesn't revile back. He, he blesses and then steps back. 
And that kindness leads her to repentance. She goes to reconcile. And the first thing he does is, is compliment her and, uh, and let her know, I am my beloved's and he's mine. There's this reiteration of the covenant. I mean, oftentimes when we um, disagree, I, I meet couples that, that something will irritate each other, maybe early in marriage, and they'll go, ah, it's fine. And what they mean by it's fine is I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then seven years later in counseling, it comes up. Well, you remember what your mom did? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you get <laughs> historical, like seven years ago, you, mm-hmm. know, you should have dealt with that back then. And a lot of times it's those little grains of sand begin to accrue like sediment and they block up the river of, of communication and love. And so I tell people early in marriage, like talk a lot, like Don and I got rid of our TV, which may be a little radical, but our first year of marriage, like we would just sit on the back porch and talk a lot. I tell I young it. people that all the time. I'm like, Hey, you know, sex is fun in marriage, but it's not the only thing you do. It's not the thing you do the most. Most of the time you're just hanging out. And so you might as well figure out how to communicate. How, how can you say, hey, when you said this, I felt this way and have someone say, well, I don't want to make you feel that way. How can I say that better? And there were arguments our first year in marriage. It would take four or five hours to work through <laughs> that now take five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I look and I'm like, we have the best marriage we've ever had. And you go, it's because of that, that commitment to work on communication. And even now, people ask what we do. And I'm like, normally sit on the back porch and just talk about everything. I love uh, that. First of all, I did find out the first year of marriage that I apparently don't know how to fold laundry appropriately. (laughs) So I'm like, well, if I'm getting it wrong, honey, then I just defer to you and you'd be happy to fold it. There it is. (laughs) We have to find our our meeting points. Seriously, my husband is like, people want to clone him. He's not, we always say we are far from perfect, but we're perfect for each other because we've made that commitment and decision to work together. He's, when I say he's my better half, I really truly mean that. Like we've, we've had our ups and downs like everybody does, but you talk about talking one of the things that we love the most is if we're on a road trip it is so easy to hop on a plane or go somewhere if we have a long trip but if we have somewhere that's like three or four hours i kind of love it i'm like okay we are trapped in this truck together and sure we mean we can look at our phones and people can call us but we can ignore that it's just us in the open road sometimes the dogs with us and it's the one time that we don't have screens in front of us and that we're just talking i love a road trip Uh, I encourage so many couples get your phones out of your bedroom, you know, like oh, absolutely. buy an alarm clock. But um, how many times th- those moments where you would naturally in the past talk mm-hmm. have been completely distracted. And, and that's why there's a lot less, if, if you look, there's a number of reasons why dating has gotten harder and marriages have decreased in the culture. But one of them is the constant interruption of social media prevents depth. And so you have people with less friendships and they're mm-hmm. going on less dates. And so there's less marriages and it's a cascading effect of that distraction. So sometimes it's something as simple as that. When I get home, I put my phone on this counter and I don't pick it up because I only Mm -hmm. have maybe two hours with my kids before they go to bed. And Mm -hmm. I just, I want them to see me choose them Mm -hmm. over whatever's coming on the phone. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with my wife and it's hard. So we have to like parent ourselves like toddlers, like, okay, I just got to get the phone out of the room. Right. I can't not look at it unless it's far, far away. It's so true. It takes such discipline, but it's really powerful when you do it. And I think it does telegraph to other people, whether you're out to dinner or with your kids or whatever, like I'm here for you in this conversation and um, man, the technology will pull at us to do everything. I mean, I think it's a, a broader conversation too about just how distracted we are and how the enemy loves that. He wants us busy and distracted. It hurts all of our relationships and everything else. Yeah. Um, we're talking with um, Pastor Ben Stewart from Passion City Church here in Washington, um, an author, a great teacher. Um, we're talking about Song of Solomon and life and how we do those things. It's one of the stories I've got in my new book, Love Stories of the Bible Speak. And with his help, I put together this chapter, whether he knows it or not by listening to his sermon. <laughs> 
retirement. So um, quickly want to ask your advice for people who they're not yet to marriage. You you reference this and your church is very young. So for people who are dating out there, listen, I have a lot of young people that I work with and they say like, oh my gosh, DC is so hard to date here. I know whatever your geography is, I think they feel increasingly um, just frustrated by trying to find, you know, mate material or somebody that they really want to invest their lives with. So any advice to the folks out there who are in the dating pool and feeling maybe a little bit discouraged? Yeah, I I would say you're not alone in feeling discouraged. I mean, every statistical study is showing that, that these are difficult days to navigate life and love. They are. So I just encourage people don't feel shame when you go, Hey, this is difficult. Like it is difficult. And this massive shift in technology that happened in your developmental life has been disruptive. So admit that. But now we have the data to see like, oh, all this distraction impedes depth. And so how do I prioritize depth and community? And, you know, I I wrote a whole book on dating, trying to help people sort of navigate that course. You know, I I encourage them, um, you got to get a relationship with God, right? Before you'll get that relationship Mm -hmm. with a guy or girl, right? You know, um, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. is talking to her about thirst, you know, physical thirst, but then it kind of becomes this metaphor for spiritual thirst. And he says, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have one. He's like, I know you've had five and now you're living with a guy you're not married to, but he doesn't shame her. He's just pointing out to her, man, you've been going to guy to guy to guy to look for a need that, that God is meant to fill so that you can have a fountain of love to offer and not just be a drain trying to get from somebody else. So I encourage people Hey, get that relationship with God right first. I mean, Paul said that, that singleness is to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Like get that most important relationship right first. And and then I would encourage people, I think, get in a dating pool where you're more likely to find someone with a God-shaped character. You know, I, I don't have a, um, a, an a angst or frustration against dating apps, but, you know, typically it's, can they say something witty and are they attractive? And the Bible says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. <laughs> These are not good characteristics on which to build a relationship. So get around a godly community of, of helpful people who are chasing a cause that's worthy of your life, like uh, serve in your city and get involved in serving at your church. And you start to run on that path and you'll look to your left and right and see, hey, I got people here who are friends. I got people who are mentors. And there's some people here that are cute. And you've upped your chances of meeting someone with a godly character. So I just tell people, man, run with us, run with a community. And, uh, you know, like you said, DC is a tough place, but in our church, we're seeing healthy relationships form mm-hmm. uh, because they're in a healthy community and that healthy community can help foster healthy relationships, healthy romance, and then healthy marriage. Yeah. I got to say, if you are a young person anywhere in this area, whatever I go to Passion City, I'm so encouraged by the young people who are just lit up by their faith. Mm-hmm. And as you said, are walking through this whole life together. So I got to tell you the first time that I went to Passion City several years ago, it was pre-COVID. I literally got teary-eyed and I'm like, I'm the crazy oh. old lady now crying because <laughs> I see these young people and like this beautiful church family that is together and like doing this life together. So Pastor Ben Stewart, thank you very much for your time, your expertise, for tackling you know difficult issues, but that are so important for us and you do it so well. So thank you so much for joining us on Living the Bream again. Well, thank you, Shannon. And again, congrats on your book. I I read the chapter on Song of Solomon. It was fantastic. So you're doing a good thing for people. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you. See you again soon. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.